We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bellant. Well, Bill, thank you so much um, for coming on. I'm really excited to talk with you and and uh, really, I would I would love to talk about um, to start out with talking about your childhood a little bit. I know a lot of us, you know, <clears throat> you a lot of men who who listen to this podcast and and watch, um, they would know you from on stage and and you know your messages and sermons, but um, probably not a, a lot of them would know where you grew up and what was life like. And a little bit, my real question is, how was masculinity modeled for you? when you were young, but if you could take us through a little bit where you grew up and, and where you came from and then how masculinity was modeled for you, that'd be awesome. Um, I was born in Minnesota. I lived there till I was two. We moved, my dad was a pastor. We moved to Eugene, Oregon, and I was there till I was six. My dad took a position at a Bible school there. And then uh, when I was six, I moved to Sacramento, California, where my dad took on an associate pastor position at what is now Capital Christian Center. Okay. It used to be called Bethel Temple. And uh, we were there till I was um, uh, going into the ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, and then was uh, moved down to L.A., uh, Downey. And I was there till uh, through high school. And then... Uh, after high school up here in Reading, uh, masculinity, I don't know, it, to be honest, it was just kind of common sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a little different culture then there, there wasn't, uh, I mean, we, you know, I grew up in a family that hunted and fished and, and, uh, you know, my dad was a, a pretty outstanding athlete growing up and I followed mm. in his footsteps in my pursuit of athletics and, those things are generally associated to masculinity, not always, yeah. uh, but but uh, oftentimes they are. Yeah. And so that was, uh, you know, my my uh, grandfather, my grandparents, my grandfathers, and my uncles, and all those uh, male figures in my life were, were they weren't all hunter fisherman types, but they were all, you know, very confident in who they were, and and uh, so their their leadership was was uh, strong. The, the cool thing is my family has, uh, my, my dad's mom was actually the pastor, uh, not my grandfather, my, wow. my grandmother. Yeah. And so there was a, there was a huge place. That's on my dad's side of the family. On my mom's side, they served under Amy Semple McPherson uh, for a number of years. So they had a high value for women in ministry. So it wasn't a male dominant thing. It wasn't that kind of a masculinity. It was, it was just strength and being responsible, and uh, bearing the weight of things, protecting, you know, family, protecting uh, your your wife, and and uh, you know, I, I liken I liken a a, a woman to a a, a crystal uh, goblet, and uh, the guy is the clay coffee mug, you know, and. The, <laughs> You just don't you just don't use them both in the same 
area, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Bible refers to the woman as the weaker vessel, but it's not weaker in the sense of inferior. Yeah. It's just the way, the way they're wired. It, they'd be like the crystal goblet. So anyway, that's so in in my world, um, there were a lot of men present, and there were a lot of men that uh, that were just responsible, yeah. and, uh, and and served their wives and families and. And so that was that was really the role model that I had growing up with my own home, my dad, and uh, but uncles and grandparents too. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it's such an incredible way to grow up, and it's the way that um, a lot of the world grew up for. I mean, for a long time. Obviously, we live in a little bit different day and age right now, which is is part of why we're doing what we're doing here at Brave Co. And it's it's why we're doing what we're doing at Bethel and and help helping to, to really champion, you know, a healthy family and, and a healthy yeah. discipleship. And, um, one of the words that, that you used though, is, is a word that we talk about a lot, which is responsibility. Um, Jordan Peterson, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with who he is, but, um, I like him. yeah, incredible mind. Um, mm-hmm. he says responsibility gives us purpose in life and, um, when, when you're talking about your dad and your grandpa and your uncles, you know, they modeled that responsibility. They, re, they modeled that, um, that role of, of really being a leader by fulfilling what you were called to fulfill, whether it's taking care of your, your wife or, or, um, you know, making a, a place for, uh, you know, supporting your, your grandma or your, your mom and in, in ministry while they're leading, um, just being super responsible is, is such a profound thing. And I think so many men overlook the, the, how impactful just being responsible day in and day out can be in and uh, here's where I see it a lot. Um, when I was in school ministry, I, I led in, in Bethel school ministry for, for 10 years I spent in there. And probably for me, the, the number one question that, that I would get people asking me, especially young people is how do I find my purpose? How do I, I, you know, people are, they go through a year or two years of school and they're going, man, I'm still trying to find my purpose. And and I feel like oh, why I'm bringing this up is I feel like so many men are in the spot where, how do I find my purpose? And, and, um, it was supposed to be modeled for us at a very young age. My dad's dad, uh, sorry, my dad's grandpa, who was a farmer, he didn't wake up one morning and go, what is my purpose in this life? <laughs> His true. purpose was waiting for him every day. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, and his, his dad. My dad's grandpa's dad didn't wake up going, man, am I going to leave my mark on this earth? And I understand that we can, you know, there's two sides to this story, but we have so lost sight of how our responsibility in this world, just simple, simple responsibilities actually brings us life and gives us life. And so I love that, that your dad and your uncles, they just modeled simple responsibility for you. Yeah, it's absolutely true. 
my one of my uncles died when I was about uh, probably 10 or 11 years old uh, back in Minnesota. So we drove back and my dad uh, invited uh, his wife, my aunt, and their three girls, or actually they had an adopted son as well, invited them to come live with us. So they moved into our home in uh, Sacramento and my grandparents were already there. So we actually had 11 people in the house with us and it was 1100 square foot home. It was a, it was a pretty small home. So, and we, we lived that way for, for a while. Some in the summer slept in the garage and, and I never, I don't remember ever hearing any complaint, anything out of my dad. We just made it work. It's what you do. Uh, if you're, you know, if you know what responsibility is yes. and part of the problem that we face here is that we're always talking about changing the world and these, uh, high impact places of influence. Yes. And, and so people are looking for their purpose, you know, in being a president or a CEO or, yes. you know, the designer of some new thing, instead of realizing the farmer that goes to work every day is creating a momentum that leaves a mark in the earth. You know, the, the mechanic that repairs with uh, cars with, with integrity and, and lives a responsible lifestyle and influence those that he works with. And, you know, that really is how the world has changed is through those things. You know, I, I, I believe in the, I believe in the high positions of influence for sure. But, yes. uh, but most of life, you know, if you look through scripture, you know, Elisha was plowing when Elijah called him into the prophetic ministry. And yeah. so often you find people that are not willing to do the plowing and yes. they want the big ministry. And it's just not going to happen. If you can't work with the natural, if you can't work with the mundane, if you can't be faithful there, then I, I wouldn't trust you with the supernatural. And that's really, that's really the heart and soul of it for us is getting people to, that will be practical, responsible in the practical things. And it, I mean, gosh, it's so profound. I, I wish that people could, um, I wish that they could really somehow get a revelation of just really how powerful that is. I, you know, growing up in my home, I, of course, you know, my dad was a great role model for me. And mostly what I tell people all the time is my dad is the most faithful man I've ever met. Mm. He's just so ridiculously faithful to really whatever has been put in front of him. You know, my dad has a ridiculously hard work, worth work ethic. Uh, he does everything to the best of his ability. Um, but then he always is going above and beyond. I remember when I was a young kid, um, especially when the prophetic, it, it may have been going on way before this, but I wasn't aware of it as so young, you know? So I remember, uh, 14, 15, 16 years old, and my dad really growing in his gift in the prophetic. And I remember my dad, um, he would run the parts stores. And then at, in the evening time, he would do classes and, and they would practice the prophetic and he would learn it. And then at nighttime, he was reading books and, and, you know, watching stuff to learn. And then, uh, he went through a whole season where he'd travel to go listen to, um, you know, these prophetic guys speak just to get yeah. an impartation. And, and I watched the same thing with your life, you know, of uh, a little bit further removed from my dad, but 
most people are looking at these great men, what, and whoever greatest to you, you know, these great men that the foundation for all of that favor, the foundation for all of the prosperity was laid in responsibility. It was laid in the, this day in day out being super uh, faithful to the little yeah. that was given. And uh, it's even for me, it, you know, different times in my life, it's so easy to get caught up in the success that you might perceive someone else to have as a man, you know, I, it's easy for me to look at another man and go, gosh, he's got so much wealth, you know, and, and, and how do I, how do I be that great businessman or, or, oh man, those, that guy's kids are just, they're just another level in, in athletics. Like how do I achieve that in my family? And it's easy for me to want to chase that. Yeah, for sure. For sure it is. It's a comparison, of course, is, is one of the most deadly, <laughs> deadly things that we can do because, you know, you, you just always end up on the bottom somehow, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The responsibility is huge. Part of the problem for us is we don't realize that natural things dedicated to the Lord become supernatural. Mm. So That's there's so no such thing as having a secular job when you are truly devoted to the Lord. Everything you yeah. do becomes a supernatural experience and a supernatural yeah. occasion. And uh, and I love the extreme. You know, I love the the supernatural things that we see happening. Part of our problem is that we compare the the simple things with those extreme things. And yeah. you know, if you, if you think of uh, of Israel, they had to have that challenge when they have bread appear on the ground, everyday manna appear on the ground every day, they have water coming out of a rock. They have the yeah. visible manifested presence of God, the fire at night, the cloud by day, all these things took place. And yet when they went into the place of God's destiny for them, they actually had to plow the ground and plant seed. And, uh, and so they had to make this transition from, from God doing everything for them to them working with him. And wow. uh, they still needed the blessing of the Lord on the crop. They still needed him to, you know, be favorable and bring the rains and all the stuff that was necessary to prosper with their cattle and sheep and all. So uh, they had to learn how to partner. God's intent for us is to learn how to partner with him so that the natural becomes supernatural. And, uh, and that's the challenge we face right now, is that we see the cancer disappear, we see the blind eyes open, and we celebrate those things, but we don't yeah. always have as much a value for the guy who goes to work every day, you know, yeah. as a, a physician's assistant to help that doctor succeed and to help relieve some of the Lord. We don't realize that that, uh, that, that natural effort devoted to the Lord becomes a supernatural occasion. Yeah. And really unlocks, it unlocks the favor of the Lord and the blessing yeah. of the Lord in someone's sure. life. And it's a, it's a great reminder for all of us out there to, um, to ask yourself, like, are you allowing, are you allowing the Lord to bless you through the things that you're doing every single day? Yeah. Um, about a, about two years ago now, I always say about a year ago, but then a year goes by, you know, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. probably two, maybe two and a half years ago, the Lord said, 
I want you to give me something that I can bless, which is kind of an, uh, it's an odd thing because, you know, I have kids, I I had, uh, three kids at the time and ministry. And I'm, 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 there's plenty of things, God, that you could bless. (laughs) And, (laughs) And, but I just had this, I just had this, this knowing this instinct that what he was talking about was that thing that he'd placed in my heart for men. Um, and in this, this movement that we're doing, but my challenge was, I was so afraid and I didn't know where to start. It was those two things. Like I didn't know where to start and how to start. And then I didn't want to be a failure. Right. So I had, <laughs> I had those three things, which is, is just real. It's just where I was at. And I got so, it actually felt so it became so burdensome of like, he's telling me, I want you to give me something to bless. And I, I want you to step out and I'm feeling this conviction, this weight of conviction and, and of like, God, I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to start. And I finally just, I just did what I knew to do. Right. So I did, I didn't even do something profound that I felt like he told me to do. I just went, I, I'm going to do a men's retreat. I know I can, I know that I know how to do a men's okay. retreat. And although I'd never done one mm-hmm. and, um, it, that those seeds that stepping out, it was terrifying. We had, uh, I picked a location in Texas. I didn't even do a good job picking it. I actually didn't even look if airports were close by. I didn't even <laughs> think about it logically. And, you know, we charged whatever we charged a thousand dollars or something. And just none of it was done very logically. I hadn't done it before. And we only advertised for a month. We ended up filling up the whole entire place. I had to uh, add spots. Uh, you know, after the deadline finished and we got there, guys were still trying to come to this retreat. And, uh, you know, long story short, like today, I see the fruit of that, like the literal fruit of stepping out back then. Yeah. And I'm not telling you the story to go great me. I'm saying like, I feel like so many guys are, are like me. You get in these spots where you know that God planted something in your heart, whether it's for your marriage or your kids, or, you know, maybe a future thing uh, like me, a, a men's movement. And, but it's so hard to know what to do today with this thing. It's true. <laughs> and that to me feels like one of the hardest little gaps to bridge is where do you start in a promise? Or where do you start in a desire? Where do you start in a responsibility that God's given you? Uh, it, you know, do you have any extra insight for that? Well, part of our deal is if if we were just uh, you know working down at a grocery store and we had a new idea on how to do something, um, and we weren't believers, we would just chalk up our risk taking to how to develop in my in my in my uh, profession or whatever. Yeah. But our problem is, is we are, and it's a good problem. We are so passionate to serve the Lord with everything we have. We don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We don't, want, we don't want to make the mistake. We want it to yeah. be perfect as it comes out because he deserves that. And we, you know, we yeah. want to be responsible for him. Yeah. So part of being learning to be responsible is we end up with a temptation of taking on too much responsibility for something. Uh, where the the weight the the we're not there, there's a there's a difference between acting in faith and then having God make it work 
and mm. taking the responsibility of making it work ourselves. There's oh, a huge difference between the two. And so as people who love God and want to do everything just to honor him and please him, there's that perfectionist thing that gets on us where we don't want to, you know, we don't want to get it wrong. I, 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 I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm not even going to try. It's safe for me just to leave room for the experts to do it. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, it was that that really kept me, kind of kept me uh, behind the times in my writing years ago as I, I just didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't until I just, you know, stuck my neck out and said, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. That things actually came together. So I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, we're just, uh, you know, especially as believers, we have that perfectionism. Perfectionism is, is religion. Perfection oh, yeah. is, is form without power. Excellence is kingdom. And yeah. so if we can just, just assume I'm going to do the best I know how to do. And I would, I would be able to do better in a year, but it needs to be done now. So yeah. I'm going to do it now. You know, it's, it's the same with like writing. I mean, I look at what I wrote and I go, oh, I could have said that so much better. Yeah. You know, but that's life. It's, it's hopefully we continue to grow. Hopefully in five years, I'll look back at what I'm doing now. And go, oh, goodness. We could have done it so much better. But that's, that's, you have to be willing to go through that painful journey. Yeah, it's so true. It's funny that you brought up writing. Um, my dad was really encouraging me to, um, well, actually, I had had a heart to write a manual, a counseling manual, you know, and, and just the tools, the simple tools that I use, uh, that I've used for a long time to help people. And so I talked to my dad about it and he was like, oh, you should do that, you know, and, and um, a year into it, he checked on me and he said, Hey, where are you at with that manual a year later? Right. And I said, Oh gosh, I'm halfway done. And he said, halfway done. How come you're not all done? And he wasn't condemning me. He was literally asking how come, like what's going on. And I said, I don't know. And he said, do you not have the material? Like, do you need more information? And I said, no, I ha I've been teaching this stuff for years. I, I have all the material and, and I actually didn't know why I wasn't, why I couldn't finish. And I'd sit down so much. And finally, in talking to my dad, I said, I feel like, I feel like I'm going to put it out. And then people are going to look at me like I'm a fraud. Like, I feel like I'm a fraud. I feel like I'm going to write this stuff. And then now people are really going to see what I do. And then they're going to be like, oh gosh, that yeah. like, that's not good. And so he, he was like, huh? Okay. Well, that's pretty logical. Let's send it to somebody. Let's send your material to somebody. Right. And I, I said, oh yeah, let's do that. So we sent it to Mark Sharona because Mark Sharona is like the guy that we know that he's got more PhDs after his name than anybody I know. Yeah, and exactly. secretly I was hoping that Mark was going to come back and be like, yeah, I probably wouldn't publish this because then, right. I would be let off the hook and I could just put, walk away from it. <laughs> And he wrote my dad back and said, Oh, this stuff's brilliant. I love it. Your, your son's just doing awesome. And, um, but then I got confronted with it again, right? Like this idea that, okay, my dad believes in me, Mark loves the material, but still I had this thing inside of me. That's like, Oh man, you're, you're fixing to get made fun of or whatever. And I finally just had to, I really had to make a clear decision on what voice I was going to listen to. And it really felt like I, there was this battle. And I, I think that a lot of men have that battle where you could have God himself come to you and say, 
no, I love, I want you to do this. I love this. And you still have to make that choice, right? To cross the chicken line and risk and do it. It's so true. It's so true. You know, we just have to, you know, sometimes just suck it up and, and, you know, how would I act if I was courageous and then do that? Yeah. Sometimes it's it's just what you do. And, and at the moment, it looks like anything but courage and it looks like anything but faith. But when it's all done, you look back and you go, you know what? There was, there was a, a measure of courage there that the Lord really honored. And there was, uh, I did express faith that I didn't even know I had. And yeah. so afterwards, you look back and you can see it more clearly. But yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's challenging. It is. You know, changing subjects a tiny bit, but um, uh <laughs> Our world, where our world is at, we're in a really interesting place. And especially with men today, you know, the, the fatherlessness is just such a massive issue. And and to me, it's, it's the biggest issue that, that I'm focused on. And I think would, would bring probably the most, the most help to our nation and to the world is, is for fathers to come back into a right alignment. And, you know, when we look at the world today, uh, almost half the kids that are being born are being born to homes without fathers or active fathers in them. And, you know, we could all look at the result of that, which would be abortion and uh, um, incarceration, right? These kids grow up with all this pain and they don't know how to solve the pain. And then they end up in drugs and the drug use leads them into, you know, stealing and, and lying and cheating and they end up in, in prisons and, and it's just such a, uh, a horrible, horrible, um, existence that, that our men, our women, our children, you know, this isn't just a, a an issue that are, that men are facing. This is an issue, uh, of, of families and, and therefore our society is in real trouble, um, outside of God, you know, outside of God, we'd be like, Holy smokes, you know, we're just in, in some massive trouble. Um, the Bible speaks so clearly about discipleship and about family and about um, I I'm thinking of, of Acts chapter two and, and those different places of unity. And I, you know, I feel like, I feel like discipleship is, is one of the main keys to us turning things around. I would really love your thoughts on discipleship and your thoughts on where we're at as a nation today. And, and just maybe some insight, um, more, some deeper insight into, you know, revelation, what you feel like the Lord is, is calling us to, and, and maybe some solutions, things like that. Well, discipleship obviously is, is, it's huge because he told us to do it, you know, yeah. to, to disciple people and then to disciple nations. Yeah. And, um, your dad is a great example of that. Just, uh, his life was transformed when he was kind of adopted by a spiritual leader that was just a little bit older than he was spiritually, but, uh, and discipled him. And it wasn't until then that he really started to have yeah. uh, breakthroughs in his life. And, you know, if, if we just get back to the concept, two are better than one. Yeah. Um, when, when you're being discipled, you have partnership. You, you, you don't just have somebody telling you how to live that that happens, but you have partnership. You have somebody saying, Oh man, you know, I, I hurt when you're hurting, you know, I'm sorry, you've got this conflict at home. I'm praying with you. I'm standing with you. And so you've got that, you've got that sense of I'm not alone. 
yeah. uh, in any given situation because you, you have that relationship of a spiritual father and a yeah, spiritual it's son. Yeah, it's huge. And, uh, and your dad's done a great job uh, replicating that throughout his life. I've watched him uh, really disciple people well. Yeah. And, and so it's a, it's a huge thing. It's, a, it's an important uh, part of life, and it just takes intentionality. Um, I've, I've done a lot of discipling through the years, but a lot of it's been accidental. You know, the, the best, the best I think is, is when you're intentional and you set up the time and you sit down and you talk and you work through stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and I do think, you know, I do think there's a place, uh, it's kind of almost feels like a dumb statement. There's a place for that and where we're headed. Yeah. It's not just a place for it. It's pretty essential yeah. because it's a, it's a tool that God anoints. You've got to pay attention to what he's anointing. Mm. And uh, he tends to anoint his commands. And so when he says to disciple, it means here's something that's going to carry the weight of God's blessing, the weight of his glory. So discipleship is, uh, is a very, very significant part of our life. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, at the things that are working culturally, uh, uh, maybe the, the boys club. In fact, there's this picture of um, a school teacher, uh, junior high boys school teacher. I've seen it several times now over the last few years on Instagram. And he actually, he teaches the young men in his school how to be gentlemen. Mm. And so he, he makes sure they all wear a coat and tie. I mean, he, he ties the tie for them. He sets That's them up awesome. and he teaches them manners. Yeah, he teaches them manners. He teaches them about opening the door for the woman. He teaches just common sense, simple things, but things that they're, they're not going to probably learn otherwise because of their, yeah. their home situation. And, you know, so it's one teacher on maybe 15 boys. Well, yeah. that still works. It still works because oh, they've, yeah. they've got a standard in their life that is, is intentional. Yeah. With taking time, intentional on where he wants to take them, intentional. Yeah. He's, he's not saying, I know everything, but I do know this, and I'm going to teach you what I know. And uh, so it, it's, it's uh, uh, these guys, you know, they grow up to be responsible. I, I, yeah. I doubt that, that they face the same problems or temptations uh, that some of the other kids in their school would face, simply yeah. because. They have a standard that's been set in their thinking that they're going to measure everything by. And it, it doesn't mean some won't make you know, dumb choices. It just means they have a different place of reference to think from. And that's yeah. what discipleship does. Discipleship creates due north. It, mm -hmm. it establishes that absolute that is worth working for. Yeah, it's so powerful. Um, back when I was young, Boy Scouts was massive, you know, all across the country. And, um, Boy Scouts was so cool because you had somebody teaching you these different skills, right? Uh, manners, but also like knots and, and, uh, yeah. trapping and all these cool, really cool things. And, and what it did for young men and, and Girl Scouts for, for, for girls, but what Boy Scouts did for young men is it gave them a place to build confidence which I just think is the most cool thing, right? Because confidence is one of those things that you don't have unless you build it, unless you do little tiny pieces. And we don't think about that a lot, right? Like unless you did something small today that led to a success or it led to you understanding why you didn't get success. And then you try it again. And eventually you get this idea like, oh, I can do, I can tie a knot. Oh, I can tie four knots. Oh, I can trap. Oh, I can, I can catch a fish. Oh, I can. I can tie this knot and 
cast the rod and catch, you know, and, and then by doing these simple things, like the boy Scouts was so profound because you take kids and you teach them knots and you teach them a creed, you know, on how to live life. And, and, and you teach them about hiking and you teach them about flowers and about nature. And yeah. somehow they have this idea that they can out of that. It's like, Oh, I'm a good man. I've got confidence. I can raise kids. I can grow a business. I, that came from not tying skills. You know, that came from learning how to catch a fish and that came from, and so discipleship to me is one of the most exciting, like really cool. And sometimes I feel like, uh, I feel like in certain, certain, um, maybe sections of the church denomination of church, I don't know, like we made it this really boring thing where we sit across from each other with coffee, even if you don't like coffee. And I tell you, you know, my sins and, and you give me some instruction on, on how to do better next time. And then, you know, I want to show up next week, but I really don't want to show up to coffee next week. And it just becomes this thing of like, gosh, but discipleship, I think the way that God created it and the way that he designed it, you know, a, a father to train his sons in what he's naturally good at a, uh, a grandfather to pass on the, the inheritance on, on what he was naturally good at. And, um, and so when I think about discipleship too, I just think it's one of the coolest places to give what you have. And I almost see it like the boy who's got the, you know, the fishes and loaves, like he gives this little thing and in return, like God multiplies it. Like I teach kids how to tie knots and how to whittle a stick. And I teach them a creed. And then they go and they have all this confidence to do all this other stuff. That I actually didn't teach them that stuff, but I gave them the starter pack. Yeah, it's a good example. Yeah. Which is yeah. so exciting. Yeah, that's beautiful. Great example. But that's exactly what happens is you create a momentum in their life that affects other areas. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun. Um, do you have any thoughts on just any insight? Has God been speaking to you at all? about where we're at as a nation and maybe i'm just on a personal level curious um do you feel like you have a, a like a, a resounding word in your spirit for where we're at right now um in the world today and in the what's happening going on you know i know that god has a strategic plan but um i don't have a clue what that strategic plan is uh, sometimes i'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that <clears throat> Well, um, I actually talked about it this last Sunday. Mm. The, the point is this, is you can tell what the enemy is afraid of about you mm. by, what, by what he attacks. Mm. And his attacks are sometimes very outward. They're, they have to do with devastation of the crisis. But most of his attacks come in the form of a question. And mm. so he came to Adam and Eve and said, has God said, trying to get them to join with him in questioning what the Lord had said. And then to Jesus, the last Adam in Luke 4, came to him and said, if you're the son of God. So the last thing the father spoke over him at his water baptism is he declared, this is my beloved son. So it's the very first thing that the enemy attacked. Mm. So what what's happening all around the world, it's what's happening right now is the most insane stuff I've seen in my life times a thousand. Yeah, I agree. You have, and, and I don't say this in a mockery sense, I say it in an alarm sense. 
when you have a guy think he's a girl and vice versa, and that the guy can have a baby and that uh, the media agrees with them. And you've got all this stuff going on. Every bit of it is an assault on identity. Mm. So that tells me then what does the enemy fear most? He fears this generation finding out who they are. Mm. So what, where do we serve? We serve by identity. We were created in the image of God. Why? We were created, created in the image of God so that we could have a heart-to-heart, seamless relationship with the Almighty God. That's wow. the purpose for our creation. And you go on from there, and you talk about, uh, you know, if there's a designer, you can't have design without a designer. Yeah. And so the little thing that I run through is, is that, all right, if there's a design, then there's a designer. And if there's a design, then there's a purpose. Yeah. Design creates, in the design, purpose. If there's a purpose, there's a destiny. Hmm. If there's a destiny or an intended outcome, then there has to be accountability to make it work. Hmm. So the effort of this culture to destroy the concept of God as the creator is the, the last ring on that ladder is the issue of accountability. People want to do whatever they can to avoid the pain of thinking they'll have to give an account of their life. And what we get to do, excuse me, okay. what we get to do is make sure that we are established strong in our own identity. And I don't mean just male and female. I mean, like our identity, who, who has God made us to be? Yeah. I, I, I never think of myself as the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I am a knife in the drawer. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I'm going to be settled with that. Um, there are many people that do everything I do better. That's okay, because I have the privilege of serving where I am with whatever measure of excellence I understand and I have at my disposal. And so you you own up to responsibility again, that my my task isn't to beat somebody else at what they're doing. My responsibility is to be able to give an account of my life before the Lord that I did what he would be assigned me to do. And uh, so this whole this whole thing of, of the enemy is attacking identity across the board yeah he, he attacks, uh, at a time at a level i've never, i never ever thought would have been possible and uh so he's attacking identity why because he fears this generation fig- figuring out who they are that they were actually born for such a time as this and the church if we get it deep in our own heart in a non-combative way we can call people to their destiny and that's what I, that's really what I believe one of the, one of the main assignments we have before us right now is calling people to their destiny hmm. and their identity. Do you have a, 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 per, uh, a sense on like a specific avenue in your heart that you feel like God's went, I want you to do it this way? Uh, what, what do you mean? What, yeah. what, what do you mean? Say, yeah. Um, like I know, one of the ways that we can unlock somebody's identity is through the prophetic, you know? So my dad would probably go, uh, you know, the prophetic, I feel a big mandate this year on the prophetic or, um, you know, I agree. it's one yeah. of the most, it's one of the most, if not the most powerful tool in our tool belt for establishing people in identity. Mm. And we've got to get over the notion that I have to become a prophet to do it. You know, um, 
Moses said, I wish of all God's people were prophets. And yeah. uh, Paul taught that all can prophesy. And and uh, so there, there's the, the notion of hearing what God is saying and declaring it and uh, over a person's life. And I, I in, the, in the years that I've been doing what I'm doing, I, I don't think I've ever seen a more quick or effective tool in getting people established in their identity than the mm. prophetic. I think you're exactly right. And I've watched, I've watched your dad do it so many, many times, just uh, people that were so stuck and he would come along with that word and it would release, it would, it would just break off all the lies. It would just, yeah. I, it was, I used to call him, uh, he's like the green beret, you know, he just, he gets, he gets in and out before they know anything happened, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and but it's really, really what I've witnessed in the prophetic for the year, all these years. And every one of us can pursue that. You know, um, I think for me, what's, what's been one of the biggest helps in my life is <clears throat> being able to decipher the truth from the lies and you would think that we would just be phenomenal at it, right? Because gosh, how much time do we spend practicing? And I mean, I've just been yeah. in this culture forever. And yet uh, somehow um, it, it can still be a challenge, you know? Um, and I think as much as my dad's ability or, you know, our culture's ability to um, give the, the prophetic word, I think one of the most incredible grace that the Lord's put on your life, Bill, is, is you have the ability to break down truth. So simple, these, these mm. really profound truths and get back to realignment. And I feel, uh, specifically, you know, this has been one of the, I've seen more people push away from the church in this season and just from the body, not, not, I mean, church, yes, from the body, you know, wanting to re reconstruct their, their belief system and all, all this stuff that we would, we actually have a lot of compassion for people that are going through that. It's a state of confusion. There's pain involved in it. There's anxiety involved in it in, and, and uh, poor leadership, things like that have happened to people, abuse, whatever. And so there's a lot of compassion that we have for that. But I think one of the avenues that the Lord is releasing identity in be, besides just the prophetic in people's life is bring them back to a whole healthy body where there is that plumb line, right? Mm -hmm. Where you, like when you were a kid, you knew truth was truth because you weren't finding it yourself. It was being shown to you and, and modeled to you in a way that you saw it work. Right. And so your dad would get up and he would be responsible and you saw that responsibility pay off and you saw it work and you saw your mom love on your dad and you saw, you know, the other kids in your home, uh, care for, for the family and you, and you went, Oh, that's the best way to do life is, is to follow in those footsteps. And right. I feel like there's a, a really powerful calling back to, um, the body and the unity in the body. And I actually feel like, um, I really do feel like we're going to see a shift in this next season where a profound shift where people are coming back to not just the first love uh, uh, where God's getting to, you know, to encounter them, but actually the a love for the body, like Acts chapter two, a love for, I have something to give, man. And, and I, I want somebody to, to, 
to impart what they have to me in. And, mm. um, and so I feel like that's one of the ways that God is strategically, um, bringing back. And, and so I would, I would say, you know, there's been some massive assaults, uh, in the, the past couple of years specifically, you know, some, some major church leaders falling and we have lots of grace for that. And, but the division that's caused in people's minds and in their hearts of pushing away and giving other reasons, you know, and, and we could, I don't want to go on specifically say this movement or that movement, but I think what happens in people's minds is they see this, this one man fall or this one woman, or this one, you know, a couple things go wrong and people push away from the body, which then they get completely out of alignment, not just what their role is, but also who they are in Christ. The whole thing becomes misaligned. Right. And I feel like the Lord is coming in bringing a right alignment, but this in, when I was, um, and again, it's probably happening a lot before I was born, uh, before I remember, but when I was, uh, about 10, 11, 12 youth group was just so incredibly boring for me. And, uh, I, I just, I hated it, man. Just the, uh, the idea that you needed to sit in seats and, and, and sing specific songs. And it was just boring. You know, the songs were boring and, but there was a, a massive shift when I feel like when, when revival hit, came and hit and, um, when God's presence started to show up, it was no longer my parents having to, I wasn't going there to be responsible. I was going to encounter God and, and, uh, you know, it was fun. It was, I wasn't there to obey my parents. It, there was a motivation beyond just, you know, my using my willpower or whatever, my obedience. And I feel like that same type of shift where I went to, to church, I went to youth group because that's what I was supposed to do, you know, according to my dad and my mom. And, and I believe that that's great, but it shifted for me. Everything shifted at 14 Good. or 15. And Good. from then on, you know, and I've had my ups and downs, of course. Um, it was where I belonged. It was the place where I actually, I received the most and I was able to give the most. And, and it, it was the place where I connected to God, not just in a physical building, but in my purpose and, and my life. And, and I feel like there's a massive wooing back to God that it includes that reverence. I can't remember who it was. You will know this, but, um, um, when they would come into a different city where that reverence would fall over the city and people would begin to repent, you know, like, like that, like God is just doing, I feel like God is strategically doing something new in this season. And so I just wanted to add that to, to this conversation. Um, God is God in, and he loves these, he loves these kind of scenarios that we're in. He's not afraid at all. And sometimes I have to remind myself, like he has this cool strategic plan and he knows how to do that. Like he knows how to use this. It's true. It's awesome. it's true. And maturity for us is just learning to trust. Yeah. And the trust is really the target of the Lord for our hearts is that regardless of how it looks, that we, our response is to trust him. And yeah. uh, it's a great, great example. Bill, you've <laughs> been such an incredible um, mentor in my life and example. Um you've just given me so much inspiration, you know, different times in my life, specifically, um, my nervous breakdown, uh, there was, um, a message that I would just play over and over again, laying on the couch. 
And, uh, because the, the word of the Lord was for, for me was in that message. And you just pulled me out of so many dark times. Um, I've had the privilege of, you know, uh, dating your daughter when I was young. And I'm just saying that cause it's how close our families were, you know, and, and right. really learning what it meant to be a man. And, and, you know, I'm just so grateful and thankful for your friendship, you know, even more than a mentor, you've been a friend to me and, and just a, a great encouragement. Um, and so, you know, I, I just thank you so much for that bill in my life. You're so welcome. So welcome. What a, what a privilege. Yeah. One of the great joys of life is uh, having friends where entire families are friends. Yeah. And, uh, of course that's the case with you guys. So it's an absolute treat. And I love seeing what God's doing in you and through you. It's beautiful. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Um, for men that are are on this podcast, you know, um, probably all of you guys are really familiar with with Bill. Um, I would highly encourage you, men, if you're not already following Bill's uh, podcast, if um, if you're not watching, you know, and following along on the, on the Sunday messages, Bill's one of the greatest places of strength and encouragement, of profound truth, profound revelation, and I would highly encourage you, men, to to um, really join what God's doing um, in, in our world uh, today by, by going and partnering with Bill. And, and uh, you can follow him on Instagram and all the places where you follow everyone. But uh, Bill, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Love you so much. Keep it up. Love you too. Have an incredible day. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Brave Co. Podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.